Hi everyone and welcome to episode 49 of the Effective Teaching Podcast. I'm your host Dan Jackson and today I'm going to be talking to you all about how to use the six senses in your teaching and in your students' learning. If you want to access the show notes or to watch this video, etc., you can head over to teacherspd.net slash 49 and get everything from this episode, everything I mentioned. It'll all be there, including notes and stuff from uh, this episode. So a while ago, I interviewed one of my friends, Camilla Ocapinti. Uh, that is episode 28. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, it was all about early years literacy. And Camilla was talking to me about how she uses a multi-sensory approach to the teaching of literacy in classrooms. And so I thought that today I might discuss this a bit further. So if you if you want to listen to that episode, go to teacherspd.net slash 28 and you can access that whole episode there. But today I'm going to talk specifically about the senses and using that in your teaching and learning practices. So one of the key things for this is for you to think about what these five senses are. So obviously there's smell, taste, touch, sight, and hearing. And today I want to actually add another one to that. I'm going to talk about proprioception as well, because proprioception, which is the ability for you to know where your limbs and stuff are, where your body is without having to look at it, is really important for learning as well. It is essentially going to link into your active learning type styles, all that practical application and etc. in your classroom. But we'll go through these one at a time and then talk about how we might bring them together in your classroom. So the first one we're going to talk about is sight. So sight obviously has lots of stuff that's involved in it. So Obviously, it means using color. It means using images and videos and stuff, but it's also things like visual organization of content. Uh, it's about modeling and demonstrating things as well. So it's not as simple as just sticking an image up, although yeah, that can be very helpful as well. We're really going further than that. We're talking about how to use anything that relates to sight. So structuring content, showing how it flows, you know, your flow diagrams, any kind of uh, imagery that you can use in your classroom, not just a picture, not just a video, but anything that's visual that represents the content or the ideas is really beneficial for your students. So a few examples of how you might do this is you might start by modeling to students how to solve a problem, right? So maybe on math, you're gonna go through this process with your students, but you could do this even more visual, right? You could do this not just by writing and drawing pictures, right? If you're doing Pythagoras, you do draw triangles and stuff, but you might actually go out and find some triangles in the real world. You might actually do the whole moving things around to work out cosine and sine and stuff and actually have students explore the concept of that to develop their understanding. But you're doing that with sight. You're doing this visually and putting up or creating uh, representations there. Or maybe it's putting together a historical timeline for your students if you're looking into history. Maybe you're putting up a taxonomy that you use to identify different animals, etc., for science. Uh, it means showing students finished products. You know, it might be looking at you know, if they're doing TAS and they've got to build a table or they're going to build anything really or make something out of metal, show them what it looks like in the end uh, and show them how to go about that. So modeling how to use the tools and also showing them visually what it's going to look like when they're finished is really good. Uh, and obviously that applies to the creative arts. So what does it look like to have a really good painting? Uh, and then 
What does it look like for English even when they're looking at, yeah, often we look at communication. And so what types of images are really good communicators? And that's why we like infographics so much, I think too, is because it's really quite visual, but also giving us lots of really good content and ideas. Uh, it means also using visual cues. So you might draw attention to a particular critical piece of important information by having things you know, flash up on the screen or lots of arrows at a particular thing, uh, or you're making it a different color, you're making it bold. You know, that's how that whole thing works. It's pulling on site to showcase that this bit is really important. So making sure we're doing that as well really helps our students to grow in their learning. Well, the next one is hearing, and hearing is really all about you know using our ears and sound to really develop learning. Now, this is really yeah, it can be very simple here. This could be very basic and be the, just making sure that you pronounce words clearly, that you know, the students actually paying attention to you when you're speaking to them, that they're listening to what's coming. It can also be removing some background noise because that can be distracting to your students, but. To more purposefully use sound and hearing when it comes to learning, it can be things like you know using podcasts, using any kind of audio book to assist your students in their learning. It can mean helping them to associate sounds with specific items that they want to recall. So you might have you know a horn go off for them to remember um, something about cars, for example. Uh, and so you constantly have this sound linking to the item, and then. It becomes easier for your students to then recall that or using music to help with memory. Now that doesn't mean playing Beethoven in the background because that can actually be distracting, okay? Uh, but if you use specific music and have students put things to music, that can really help them with their memory. That's why we love our songs and our lyrics to songs so much is because they're put to music and it enables us to remember those words more easily. Uh, and that's the same for when we're thinking about rhythm and rhyme as well and timing and all those kinds of things are really hearing things. And if you rhyme things, if you think about Dr. Zeus and his books, they are so famous partly because they rhyme so much and also because they're crazy and you know, exciting books. Uh, but they're the kinds of things that are, that are in there for hearing. So some examples of what you might do is you might be providing sounds of animals, for example, as you go about studying those animals or providing the sounds of a rainforest when you're studying the rainforest. So really draw your students into that kind of environment uh, and pulling upon their senses in that sense. <laughs> uh, it means maybe you might develop some jingles to aid the recall of some information. So we all can recall the jingles that used to go on in the ads. As we grew up, we would watch these ads. There'd be a lovely little jingle at the end that would stick in your head and you would constantly be singing that all the time and it would be really annoying because it's stuck in your head, but it's stuck in your head because of the jingle and because it rhymes and that kind of stuff. So really utilizing hearing in that sense to help people to remember, right? Uh, you could also start by introducing your music, your your music, by introducing your lessons with some upbeat music or with some kind of music that gets the students into the mood that you want them to be in when they're in your class. I remember once, actually, I was getting so frustrated with some of my students who just were moping around school generally, and then they would walk into my classroom like you know they were dragging their feet, etc. And so I actually just once went, "Stuff it! I'm going to put on some music for you guys." And I made them all, they all had to stand up. They had to at least move their body in some kind of capacity to dance to the song. And by the end of the song, they were all happy. They were all smiling. 
Uh, and then the learning that day actually was better than I know it would have been because their energy levels had been boosted again just through the use of music and also a little bit of movement. Um, it's also is why we like, you know, poetry readings and, you know, those poetry slams and stuff, using set pacing and timing for those and really making sure that the rhyming stands out is just fantastic for helping our students. Let's move on to touch. Now, touch is actually all about texture for me. I think it's, it's about how we go about getting into the learning. So, for example, I have a book that I read to my daughter sometimes, and it has animals in it, and the, I'm reading the book, and each page there's a different texture on an animal and she's asked to pat it. So it might be a flamingo and it's kind of feathery and it might be a tiger and it's uh, nice and warm and fluffy or something. But that's in there and there, yeah, there's a turtle that's scaly and that texture helps her to learn about those animals and what they actually might be like. And we can use this as well in our classrooms. We can think about the texture and how we can utilize that with our students. So perhaps you could bring in different samples of rocks maybe uh, for your students when they're looking at learning about the different layers of the earth or maybe when they're just looking at the different types of soil you could bring in different types of soil and have them actually play around with them and see what they feel like what what's their texture are they slimy are they hard are they soft you know what does this actually feel like maybe it's rough or smooth you know when you're looking at rocks compared to you know you get those really rough rocks and then the water washes over them they get really smooth that kind of stuff and maybe you're going to have your students actually get wet as they learn about the water cycle uh, or feel heat experienced by elite tennis players during the Australian Open, for example. And I, I actually remember uh, a long time ago, <laughs> not that long, but a while ago, when I was at school, I remember one of my science teachers, when they were teaching us about heat, he actually got together, uh, he got some cold water for us and got us to stick our hand into the cold water for a while and then... It was just kind of lukewarm water, but we would then stick our hand into the lukewarm water and it felt really hot. And we learned in the lesson about that whole, how heat is, if, in terms of what it feels like, is actually the transfer of energy uh, that's going from one place to another. And so if you're getting lots of energy quickly, it feels like a very hot, like a little burn. Uh, and then if it's going away really quickly, you know, you're, again, you're losing it, it feels cold. And that's what we were getting from that lesson. And, you know, no one got hurt, no one got injured or anything. It was, <laughs> was done very well, even though it was a long time ago. Uh, but it helped stick into my memory. It's been a long time since then, probably 20 years since that lesson. And I still remember that lesson. I still remember what I learned from that lesson, which I think is exactly what we want for our students. If we move on to taste, personally, I think taste and smell are really interconnected. I think that you know, if you're doing anything that relates to taste, you're probably going to utilize smell as well. But you can really use this in your classroom. When you're looking at taste, you're looking at having students drink things or eat things. And so if I go back to that episode with Camilla, episode 28, she mentioned when she was teaching students the letter M that she would have them make mango milkshakes. And so it wasn't the fact that it was a milkshake. It was the fact that mangoes and milkshake all started with M and so we're going to taste mango milkshakes uh, as they were going about this learning process of M's. And so she was beginning to pull upon more of the senses using that kind of approach. So I remember personally when I was at school, I remember an Indonesian lesson when the teacher brought in food from Indonesia and she shared it with the class and we could all 
taste the fruit and taste the traditional cuisine uh, that came from Indonesia that she had prepared for us. Uh, <clears throat> so an example you might do even in, in science might be for you to actually have the students taste the pH scale, which a lot of that is actually accessible through food. You know, you can compare the city of coffee and Coke. Uh, you could have a look at lemons and chocolate and kiwi fruit, cucumbers. You can look at water. You can look at pancakes. Anything that you can really think of that'll fit into this kind of pH scale. And you can have the students testing it and seeing the colors, so sight, but then also have them tasting it to see actually our normal foods that we eat range in terms of their acidity towards the base level. Uh, and then obviously there'll be some things that they can't taste because it actually gets dangerous, right? And you can use that in what you're doing with your students, I think. Okay, so smell, like I said, you know, it's quite connected to taste, but it's really all about the nose. It's about engaging your nose into the learning. And it's actually, yeah, smell, smell is one of the biggest memory um, triggers that we have for our learning. So you might walk past something and have a beautiful smell that reminds you of something from when you were very young. You know, you could remind you of times when your dad mowed the lawn and that smell, or you might have a smell of, you know, your mum's lasagna or something like that. And you just get that trigger that reminds you of something that you really attach that smell to. And so we can really do this in our lessons. I, I actually do this in one of my lessons that I teach. When I have my students learn about supplementation for elite athletes, I combine it a little bit with taste depending on what the supplements are and how willing students and parents are with it. But I actually have my students go around, they have a look at the different types of supplements, they smell them, they guess what they are. We then have that supplement you know, in front of us as I then teach about the supplement. So if I'm teaching about creatine, they can see the creatine, they can smell the creatine. Uh, and they can, you know, they can feel the creatine, all kinds of stuff. But I'm pulling upon their senses, particularly their smell in this case, to help them remember the different types of supplements and the effects that they're going to have on performance. Or maybe you could have your students uh, learn about the different types of gas that are in our atmosphere. Obviously do this you know, within safety limits, etc. But have them actually smell what different types of gas might smell like uh, so that they can start to make that adjustment to attaching the smell to the learning that that's going on in their classroom. Uh, or maybe you can do this even with volcanoes and think about, you know, what does, what does magma smell like? You know, what does brimstone smell like? It's, it reeks, right? So uh, actually bringing some of that kind of essence into your learning would be fantastic. Uh, maybe you could have students smell some of the plants they're studying. You know, if you're studying plants of the rainforest, maybe you can bring in some leaves or plants that are from the rainforest and have the kids just kind of crush it up and smell it uh, to stimulate that sense. Or you can probably even connect new ideas to specific smells that exist in every day. So maybe you can attach something to deodorant uh, or a particular type of deodorant. Obviously, they all smell different. Uh, or you could attach it to a specific type of air freshener to just help your students to attach the new ideas to a smell. So that every time they get that smell, maybe they're going to think of the idea that you taught them in that class. So we finally get to our sixth sense, which is proprioception, that whole idea of knowing where your body is without having to look at it. Now, I really want to connect this with the hands-on learning and acting things out and moving and rhythm and all that kind of stuff. So for example, in Steiner, right, particularly in the younger years, they actually get kids, they give them bean bags or something in their hands that they can throw from one hand to the other as they go through and learn 
their uh, times tables, for example. Uh, that's a movement that they're using that just helps them to remember it because it creates that rhythm and flow as you go about the pacing for the times tables. Now, often people will do their times tables with music as well, and that's a similar thing, but pulling here on, on that time on music. Uh, in PE, you know, I'm, I'm a PE teacher, and I think it's really important that we actually model what we're doing with our students for them. So you want to model actually the game that they're about to play or you want to model how to shoot a basketball, you want to model how to pass a football. You want to model that so that the students can then replicate that and you're showing them what it looks like uh, essentially, but then they're actually going through that process as well. So I love getting kids to just play games, right? The more hands-on they can get, the more they're going to remember it. Uh, Perhaps you could even like reenact some battle scenes maybe uh, if you're learning about some historical battles or if you're going through a novel or something with your students where you can have them you know, act it out a little bit so that they're actually getting a bit more engaged in what's going on in your lesson. I actually have a colleague who has his students become like blood cells as he teaches them the circulatory system and he has them move through different parts of the circulatory system and they're constantly following each other around in this little pattern but they're going you know, into the heart off to the lungs, back to the heart, out to the body, back to the heart. And they're, they're, as they're moving, he even has them call out where they are, you know, as they go through the different parts to really enable them to put in some proprioception, to put in that movement into their learning, which is really helpful for them. A lot of them do really well. So movement is really, it's helping the students with that learning. Now, of course, we want to combine this, right? You don't just want to do one off. In fact, it's pretty hard to do one cent at a time, but you want to purposely think about combining these different senses. And I would recommend that you do at least three senses in any lesson. Okay, now, obviously, yeah, you want to think about this. So if you're doing, for example, yeah, cooking food, right? That's, that's an easy example where you can really include pretty much all the senses here. So they're cooking, which is going to give them smell. They're also physically moving, so they're getting some proprioception in there. Uh, they're going to then taste the food, hopefully, once it's cooked. So you've got taste. They're going to see the food as they make it. You might even model how to make it for them and show them what it looks like at the end for sight. Then you might go even further and have them talk about the food with someone else so that they're hearing things. You can even get them to feel the texture of the whatever they're making, right, so that they get a sense of, you know, this is hot, this is smooth, or this is, maybe it's cold and it's spongy. You know, what does it actually feel like to help them with that learning? Uh, and we can do this, I think, for a lot of our learning. For a lot of what we're doing in our classroom, we can actually think about incorporating these senses more easily or more often into our classrooms. And I think the ones that we often miss out on are, you know, those proprioceptive ones, getting the kids moving around and doing things hands-on and really being purposeful, I think, too, about sight and about hearing. So it's not just us talking or it's not just them looking at an image. It's actually something more targeted and more planned than that. Well, this has been episode 49 of the Effective Teaching Podcast. So if you would like to access the show notes, go to teacherspd.net slash 49. I've also created an online community in Facebook. So if you go to Facebook slash groups slash effective teaching podcast you will come to the facebook group that i've created so that i can get to know you a bit more so that we can have a chat we can hang out a bit in there and it'll be great to get to know you there and of course don't forget to subscribe and if you're on apple don't forget to give me a rating on the apple podcast 
It's been great chatting to you and I'll chat to you again next week.